This is a Radio.com original. There was a guy that had a armored Cadillac limousine that um, I think had belonged to Herbert Hoover or something like that. I, fascinating car, really neat, bulletproof glass, you know, lead in the doors. It was a really, really neat car. He felt the car was worth, you know, in the millions. Uh, and I think I appraised it at 20 grand. Um, and they saved that for the very last car shot during the season. And I think they did that for a reason, because then if the guy got really mad and killed me, then <laughs> it wouldn't have stopped that. Hey, welcome back, everybody. <laughs> welcome to another original Talking About Cars podcast with Randy Cardoon. That be me. This is the thing where we do, where we uh, have everybody has a car story. And we've got some great car stories coming up ahead with our guest to introduce you to him if he doesn't look so familiar at the beginning, but I'm sure you know who he is. That over there is Hot Rod Bob Beck, our usual semi-cast of character, and uh, he is joining us today. And from his home, yes, one of the great stars of the late great if I had a hat, I'd put it over my heart. Late great show, Sticker Shock on another network. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Randy Carlson is joining us. Ladies and gentlemen, let's hear it for Randy Carlson. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Randy, of course, as you can see, Bob and I are suffering ill effects of uh, not having our hair cut in about six years. You are smart enough to at least put it under your hat. Absolutely. I don't need to worry about hairstyle as long as I have my cap. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. See, I think we've learned something about him already. Now, sure. you've been in the car scene, obviously, for a long time. You guys know Randy. You've seen him in all sorts of shows. Let's start with Sticker Shock. Now, I'm interested because when that show first came on, for those of you who remember the show, it was held in this huge, huge I have lack of a better word, arena. And it, I mean, not like Staples Center, but it was in a big, big room. And you had all these classic cars there. And basically, so many cars, so many stories, and folks like Randy, and we uh, also uh, interviewed uh, Todd Wortman and Nick Smith also earlier on an earlier show. And they were telling us about how they would go up and they would have a chance to look at the cars, talk to the people about the cars, and then come up with a value. Uh, one thing I was shocked, Randy, is, is they told me that when you went out there and them to do the show, they'd listen to the story, they'd look at the car, and you guys didn't come up with a value just like that, like it looked like on TV. Well, you know, you've got to really study a car to come up with a number on it. I mean, you can have a gut feeling when you look at something, but you know, and, and you want to do your research too. I mean, certainly there's things in front of you that, that you don't know. You can't know everything. And, uh, you know, so we did spend a little time beforehand making sure that we were prepped to, to uh, you know, sound intelligent when we went on screen. And, and I think we pulled it off. <laughs> I thought so. I like the show. Yeah. Bob even had a car that almost made the show, right? I, I, yeah, I got interviewed as one of the contestants, I guess you could call it, but uh, it didn't go through, which is, that's okay. Yeah. But it, it was interesting to go through that process because it, it, it gave me some insight into what you were looking for mm -hmm. and the differences that I was experiencing as far as people trying to value their own vehicle. Well, I mean, it was really interesting. One of the things that really turned me on to it is it seemed like they were focusing on people that had a really strong connection to their car, whether it was a, a family tie or some sort of an emotional tie there. It wasn't just people looking at it as an asset. Oh, this car is worth this much. But it's also really common out there in the world to have people that overvalue what they've got. You know, they watch the auctions, they look at guidebooks, they're emotionally invested in the car, and, uh, and that affects what their perceived value is. So the hard part for us from the show was to really have any of the cars come up where we could really shock somebody with what their car was worth. You know, in the most, most situations, there were, the values were too high and we had to let them down. You know, you think your Corvette's worth 200 grand, well, it's not. You know, but 
to try to surprise somebody and go, oh, your car that you think is worth 10 grand is worth 100. Uh, that's a lot harder to do in today's world with the internet and everything. How a much? Of, go ahead, Tom. Go ahead. A, a lot of the people that own the cars and the enthusiasts, they have a, a basic concept of what a vehicle is like or valued at. But a lot of the guys that I would run against or run up against were looking at the receipts and thinking, add up the receipts, that's the value of the car. Oh, that happens all the time. And I deal with that all the time. You know, guys think that they've got, you know, 50 grand invested in something. It's got to be worth 50 grand, but that's not the case. You know, the, the market doesn't pay you back for that all the time. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's more often than not, people get too much money invested in their car and they're never going to see that return. You know, unless you're doing work yourself and getting a deal on parts and you're not counting your time. If you're paying somebody to do the restoration work, the only one that's making out is the restoration shop. When it comes to things like everybody has a car story, every car has a story, what is it worth really for um, somebody like you who comes up with a value of a car if the car has a really good story? Does that add to the uh, worthiness of the car? You know, I it's always been a real focus of myself. I, I get really... I get really into the story. I've chased cars just because of the story. Their car could be a complete pile of crap, but that backstory is just too sweet. Um, but I'm kind of a weirdo when it comes to that. So I value those things greatly, but when it comes down to resale of a car, it doesn't necessarily add a monetary value, but it can hook a buyer in an emotional way that, you know, this, this passing of the torch, you know, from one family to a next and it, you know, nobody needs these cars at this point it's all emotion so anything that you can do to try to connect that i think makes a car much easier to sell so having a backstory on a car and and showing old photographs and receipts and paperwork and stuff i i don't think it necessarily pays you but it might pay you faster than if you just throw it out there and go you know this is just this car Give me an example of a good backstory to a car that you saw that really just drove you crazy, that you liked. Um, well, I don't know. I'm sitting in front of a couple right here. So this right here is a 1937 Packard. Ooh. Uh, it's a Model 120. It's a really original car, uh, and it's in nice shape. And, you know, it's, its value is, you know, maybe it's worth 20 grand or something like that. But tracking the history on the car which i've done in looking through old paperwork and that sort of thing i've been able to find you know who originally owned it who owned it next some backstory there some stories of where the car has gone and things that have been done with it that that to me make it much more attractive you know no it doesn't necessarily mean that the car is going to be worth 25 grand instead of 20 but but still it it definitely makes a difference in people's response to it. If I were just to put this car up for sale and go, it's a green 37 Packard. Yeah. There'd be people interested, but if I can track the whole history and go, Oh, it's sold new at this dealership and you know, it belonged to this chiropractor in this little town and you know, they, all the different things that went on. I, I, it really, it really helps a lot. In the case of uh, a backstory, for example, a movie car, and we saw one just this last year that went for a skyrocketing, staggering amount because of its provenance. Oh, certainly. I mean, there are situations where that history adds value. You know, if it was owned by somebody special, uh, you know, if, if this was owned by Steve McQueen at one point, well, then okay, then you get the <laughs> McQueen tax on top of it. Um, so that certainly helps, you know, something that's been used in film. Uh, then it, it kind of transcends automobile and becomes pop culture in some cases. Uh, and so that can build hype and get people to do silly things. So, you know, certainly history can have a big, big part of it. Uh, I'll tell you a quick story. I, I found a, a 66 Volkswagen that was for sale online. This was probably eight years ago now. And there was something about it that looked really interesting. There was a little bronze tag underneath the front hood that said Emden and the number 100,000. And that's all it said. Everything else, it was just this worn out basic bug. But that intrigued me. And so I contacted the Volkswagen factory. Uh, they have, uh, you know, a historic division where you can get information on cars and, you know, your birth certificate. 
and I got a response that this car was actually the 100,000 car that had rolled off the Emden assembly line, wow. which was a secondary line that, um, that Volkswagen had put together in the 60s to keep up with demand. Uh, and then they sent me photos of it coming off the line where everybody stopped, the car is draped with flowers, you know, wow. it was this big celebration. And you're like, damn, you know, there's something really special here. And so bringing that history out on the car, sharing that story um, added immensely to the value of the car. And then it also you know, took it other places. So when Emden had their 50th anniversary, you know, the car had been completely restored at that point, And it went back to the factory to be a part of that display. And so, you know, it takes it, it takes a little effort to chase that history. But if you get lucky and you find that needle in a haystack that really has an incredible story, you know, that could definitely add value to it. You bring up an interesting point, especially nowadays, if you wanted to, let's say, find a car you had when you were younger or to take a car and really start researching it. I mean, for example, I have a 57 Pontiac. You can only go so far back, I think, until I think Pontiac had a services situation where I think it was 61 and after they could tell you where the car was first delivered and the car was first sold in that situation. But before that, if you're talking, let's say about your Packard, what are some of the ways that you can research that kind of stuff? Because I'm sure some of the people watching have always wondered about the car in their driveway or, or tried to get a hold of a car they used to have. Well, I mean, obviously, it, it's easier if you've got some historic paperwork with the car or something that, you know, that you can chase down. Like on the Packard, there's a tag on the firewall that, uh, that shows what dealership it first went to or what distributor. And that's something that they did back in the 30s. So, you know, I can tell even without any paperwork that this car sold new in Chicago. So that gives you some place to start. Um, I wouldn't have been able to track down any other information without some of the historic paperwork that came with the car. And so I think it's really important out there for people when they're dealing with this old stuff that if there is old paperwork or old photos or any history, any story that's in, that's related to the car, you know, make sure it goes with the car, jot it down, little note saying, hey, you know, my grandfather bought this new in 37 and, and you know, he was a radio disc jockey and, you know, whatever the story <laughs> might be. I think, you know, all of that can add some value down the road and it definitely adds intrigue. It gives you something to talk about at Cars and Coffee. Uh, it, it gets people attached to it. You know, there, there's history there that, that I think is really important to, to hold on to. But once it's gone, it's gone. I mean, you can't, you know, with the exception of those manufacturers that have uh, some way of, of showing production information and that sort of thing, or the first dealer that it went to, once it goes beyond that, if there's no paper trail or clues to it, you're kind of stuck. Yeah, DMVs will not cooperate anymore. They might have at one time. In fact, I, I found out about a former owner once. What I did is I actually wrote to the DMV here in California and said, look, I'm not asking to know where this guy lives, but could you then deliver it to whoever is listed in your records? And they were able to do that. And, and a few months later, I actually got a letter uh, from that person involved and, and he had extra pictures of the car way back in the day. So, oh, that's awesome. yeah, that was really cool. But to do it nowadays, everybody, of course, and, and I understand why from security purposes, they don't want people to be knocking on your door and saying, Hey, uh, what's the deal about your car? Or I knew this car from when, so there, you have to find alternative ways to do that. Well, fortunately, if you do have something that has a name on it, or whatever, uh, you know, modern technology makes it easier to find somebody that's related to them. You know, I tracked down one of the past owners of the car off of a name. Uh, I found an obituary. He had passed. It showed, you know, the names of his family. And I started searching the family names and came up with his son on Facebook uh, and sent him a message and a picture of the car going, hey, did your dad used to own this car? Um, and then got a response. And so that opened up you know, a whole new window of, of where the car's been and, and it's, it's history. So there's good and bad when it comes to today's connection to the world. 
another reason to have ancestry or something like that. You could look yeah. it up and find out who you stoned the car or that kind of thing. Yeah, that, okay. that's what we need, Randy. You car got, ancestry. Yeah, Randy, you've got so many websites. This is what you need to do next is your car ancestry. There we go. Well, the, the whole little term that I've given what I do is carchaeology. Yes. You know, archaeologists will dig up a car or dig up, you know, uh, an artifact and then study life that happened around that. Well, I do that with cars, you know, I'll find something and I'll really dig deep to try to find the backstory. And, and to me, that's far more interesting in some cases than the car themselves. Um, you know, where, who held the hand, who held the steering wheel on this and where did they go and what did this car, you know, see? And, and it's, it's really kind of cool that way. What's the most famous car or big, best story you have come up with so far besides that Volkswagen? Cause that to me was amazing. Cool. Yeah. Um, oh God, I don't know. I mean, there's been a lot of really fun stuff. I've been really, really fortunate to find myself in front of some neat cars and some neat, neat stories. Probably the most out of the world one that, that came up was, uh, I got a phone call one day. Um, somebody had done a Google search for uh, a vehicle called the Tempo Matador. And I don't know if you know what that is, but it, mm -hmm. it was basically a German truck, really obscure German truck. Okay. And I had sold one on one of the websites that I, I run. And somebody must have just done a, a Google, Google search for Tempo Matador and came up with that. And there was my phone number. So, I get this call, we've got a Tempo Matador, it's a, it's a camper, um, would you be interested? Well, of course, I'm interested. And then the story started to progress, and this was you know, a custom coach-built camper that was built for members of the Vanderbilt family for touring Europe. And, wow. you know, and the, they still had it, the family still had it in a garage that they had built especially for it, and it was time for it to be sold. And, so this like amazing story fell into my lap. And before I knew it, I found myself uh, back in Newport, Rhode Island um, and the little New York uh, country house where this car was stored and ended up buying the car directly from these heirs uh, to the Vanderbilt family. Uh, and then asked them, as I always do, do you know of any other cars for sale? And they said, well, you know, there is the family Cadillac that's in the stables over at the Breaker's Mansion. And so, of course, I inquired. And before we know it, here we are in the stables of the Breaker's Mansion looking at this custom-bodied Cadillac that uh, their, I guess, would have been their grandparents had built. Um, and it was just, I mean, it was absolute crazy history on wheels there that I just, total dumb luck and being a nice guy and asking questions put me in front of um so that was that whole story was amazing not only did it take me to a neat place to meet amazing people but it gave me an opportunity opportunity to really research their family and and all the rich history and amazing stuff that they had gone through and and it really took me so far as far as you know a life experience and a fun adventure you know far more than the camper itself took me but uh, but it was a cool thing, really cool. Did you buy the Cadillac? You know the the Cadillac. We had this conversation at one point. I had made an offer on it, and the uh, the response was, "Well, we've been thinking we should contact the auto museum that's here in Newport, Rhode Island, because it has <laughs> this this you know real." There there were some great stories of the car. There was a huge flood there in Newport at one point. And the very last car to cross the bridge before the bridge collapsed was this Cadillac. And I mean, it just, it, their family history is so tied into Newport, Rhode Island and, and all of that, you know, I just, I had to step back and I went, you know what, that's a far better place for it than in my garage. So do it. And that's where the car is today is with that museum. What year Cadillac was it just so we could picture uh, our minds? I think it was a 41. Okay. Oh, okay. So to give you an idea. Yeah. That's, that's, that's neat. And you were talking about digging through stuff. I watched uh, one of your recent episodes of Carchaeology, and you had gone down to Tucson to find a bunch of cars that had been sitting out in the sun, and there was a uh, 70 Coronet, RT Coronet, 
and you were literally digging out stuff out of the trunk and out of the back of the car and finding all sorts of stuff. And, and you found a lot of information uh, in that vehicle, as I remember. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, that, that's what I'm dealing with right now. This Arizona muscle car. Yeah, there's, there's five just top level crazy uh, muscle cars that were all in this one guy's backyard. And, and I, I'm handling the sale. I'm trying to help the family get the most out of the cars as well as document and research each car so that everybody knows what is out there. And, and it's been an extraordinary thing to be a part of because not only are these cars, you know, real special rare machines, uh, it's been a great opportunity for me to research and learn each one of these cars. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'll admit openly, I'm not a muscle car guy, but I'm a research guy. So you give me something to study right in front of me, and I'm not going to stop until I know everything about it. And so it's really been phenomenal to do that with this stuff. It give is. us a clue, a little bit of clue on this Coronet. What made it so special? Um, well, it's a 70 Coronet RT. It's a 440 six-pack, four-speed car in the you know high-vis color sublime green. Um, and it originally had a white top and a white interior. It's, it's a hard top, but it had a vinyl top. So it's about as obnoxious and loud and rude <laughs> as any Mopar ever possibly could be. Um, and so that, that one is definitely pretty spectacular. There's a, a Challenger, a 71 Challenger that's a Hemi car, uh, that's a four-speed car. Uh, there's a Shelby GT 500 KR that's also a four-speed car. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a Charger 500, which you can see in the background. I was going to say, yeah. is that it? Is that it there? Right. Yeah. Okay. And you know, that's another super rare low production car. Um, and then there's another Charger RT 440, um, the 69, which you know, on its own would be a oh my god, wow, RT 440. But it almost seems like the dumpster in comparison to everything else. <laughs> <laughs> um, because it's all just crazy stuff and and it's been been really fun not only to dig through the the cars themselves and learn from that um, but also to, to dig through the parts that this guy collected and hoarded for so many years um, because he was really a prolific collector and uh, just piled stuff up everywhere it's it's been a challenge but it's been a, a fun one I will say this, you have to go to Carchaeology and see this, Carchaeology.com. Well, actually, you have a YouTube channel called that, right? Yeah. Now, yeah, if you go to you YouTube, got- it's got all the videos. There is a website, Carchaeology.com, and there's links to the videos on there as well. You got to see it because, and this is something I really never thought of, but I can understand how people who look for cars just about anywhere, they, they tried to put it on a car carrier. And the way yeah, they no. put all those cars on a car carrier, and keep in mind here, none of the cars ran. Right. It wasn't like he could drive them on. They had to use a flatbed. They had to use a winch that broke, I think, halfway between and a few other things, right? Oh, it, it was not my proudest moment. I, I like to be a little <laughs> better better prepared than that, but it was, uh, it, it was the three stooges loading this stuff up, <laughs> and I was definitely one of the stooges, but but thank God the guardian angels were flying and nothing left. But but we got close to losing one car, um, and that scared us all. But uh, but we got them done. They arrived here to my place uh, safe and sound, and and it's been been fun to play with them. Very good, very good indeed. All right, so we we have to go back, of course. And uh, for those who have uh, heard his story before stick with us but if you haven't heard this story i understand now you're how tall you're a tall dude aren't you yeah i'm i'm maybe six three and a half if i'm standing okay. proud yeah you're like me i'm about six three so the beauty is your first car which i was stunned about was a honda 600 yeah how did you like drive with your knees up to your chin how did you drive that thing you know, it's it's surprisingly roomy in there. And, of course, when you're young and stupid, you don't really think yeah. about stuff like that. You just go, ooh, it's a car. I'm going to make it go. <laughs> but um, I did have to put a smaller steering wheel in it so that my knees would not interfere with the turning of the car. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> it, um, yeah, no, I, that's, that's where it all started. And I bought that car when I was 13 years old from my brother for $72 because that's all I had. And uh, and I still have it today. 
It's wow. sit, sitting on the side of the shop, and it's one of those cars that I'll get to someday. <laughs> kind of like the muscle cars you just looked at in arizona right. exactly. well, no, yeah. he's doing this for money though aren't you i mean didn't they give this to you to set it up so you could theoretically sell them well yeah no definitely i'm, okay. I'm getting paid for my efforts here it's not a charity case okay um, but you know i'm i'm not i didn't you know, when everybody saw the, this car carrier full of cars and, and then I was attached to it, they're like, oh, you stole those things from this old lady and that sort of thing, you know, like <laughs> as if I bought them and that they're mine and, and they're not, you know, oh, I'm okay. really, I, as time has gone on, I've, I've found myself drawn to situations where I can help people. And I, the estate sales stuff uh, seems to be a really good spot for me. And I've found myself dealing with several estates where I can use my knowledge, use my passion to help somebody in their time of need uh, and also make something in, in the process. But, you know, I, I had a good friend of mine pass away and I watched the vultures come out and try to steal all his treasures from his wife. And it just bugged me so hard. Um, so really, I'm, I'm just kind of feeling drawn towards those situations where I can help keep that from happening. So, you know, in the case of these cars, my goal is to get her really good money out of everything and make sure that these cars go to really good homes. And and that's the quest. And I'm not getting rich off it by any means. It's it's not something that's going to, you know, put this car in my garage forever because that's not the way it's going to work. But but at the end of the day, I feel good because I'm, I'm doing something that I feel like I'm called to do. Did I hear a seagull? Um, no, that was a crow. Okay, well, obviously, I haven't been listening too well lately. Okay, there you go. A crow that's doing a seagull impersonation. I think I've got that pretty much down. Uh, no, I sense, I sense a TV possibility here, Randy. You, you know, maybe this is going to turn into kind of like a protector or defender mm -hmm. or person who protects people from being ripped off. I mean, I, it could be a good concept. I, I haven't really thought about that. I mean, I've, I've long thought that there should be a show where, where you could really dive into the history and the stories behind cars. It seems like the majority of the ones that are on right now are all about making a buck. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, there's, there's one car out there. Um, oh, darn it, I forget it. Um, it had Troy from Hollywood Hot Rods in it and Courtney Hansen. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The ride that got away, right? Um, and that's the closest thing I've seen to something that I think would be a really cool thing to do. You know, where you're either trying to find find a car that you know belonged to somebody in the past and put it back in their hands, or a replica of it. But but I think you're right. It might be uh, might be cool to to do something where you know these somebody passes away and and the family is is there trying to figure out what to do with all of dad's stuff. And, yeah. you know, okay. it, it happens so often where it just gets sold off and, and people get bargains and that's great and all, but, but you don't, you take care of the widows. That's, that's one of the things I really think should be done. Yeah, there you go. In a lot of cases, the, the car owner was the only one who really had the passion for it. Mm -hmm. And the rest of the oh, family yeah. kind of, well, okay, dad's got this old car in the back and uh, yeah, it's kind of neat, but I'm not interested in cars, so I don't know anything about it. Well, and of course, I'm sure you guys have heard it where it's like, you know, oh, I hope my wife never sells my car for what I told her I paid for it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? it's, yep. the, and then the you get divorced and it all goes to hell and yeah <laughs> right but, uh, but it's true you know they, they don't know and and to educate them and without knowing people can throw away an awful lot of value so you know a car is one thing you know you know it's worth something but if there's a box of new old stock parts that are sitting there that you know an error just throws in the trash well they could have left thousands of bucks in the trash mm -hmm. so you know that that and then those car, those parts are lost for the whole car community, which is a shame as well. So it's not just the cars, it's everything around it and anything that, you know, any of the, the car passion stuff, I'd much rather see it go on to somebody else that's going to be passionate about it um, and then make sure the family gets decent dough for it. Yeah, I've seen that where uh, a relatively famous car builder here in Southern California passed away and no one else in the family had the 
knowledge that he had of what he had stored in the shop. And one friend went over who knew what this stuff was and saw the son throwing magnesium wheels into a pile saying, yeah, this is scrap metal. And he yeah. was literally throwing the wheels and he's going, oh my God, they're going to explode. One <laughs> spark and it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he, did, he didn't know what he had. He just thought it's a lightweight wheel. It's aluminum. Right. Didn't think about the, the what it actually was. Mm -hmm. uh, that happens an awful lot. You know, it, it's, it, and it's hard in those situations. You, everybody's emotionally charged. They're dealing with the loss of this person uh, or, or dealing with the weight of what do I do with all of dad's stuff? You know, uh, it's, it's so much easier emotionally to just push it all aside, fill a dumpster and make it go away. Um, but I've found that, that it's really cool to, to get them involved with it. If they see the joy in a new owner's face in regards to something like that, and they see that passion that their loved one had going on to somebody else, that helps a lot with the healing process too. So it's a, it's a cool thing. In your garage, we're seeing a lot of great memorabilia there. I mean, I see an old Sun Scope, uh, a number of them, actually. Atlas tires back there, right. yeah. Unfortunately, the time comes when it's your time. What does your family do with everything in there? Oh, God, I hope they find somebody like me to help with it. <laughs> you know, I, you try to prep your buddies. And, and yeah. like my friend that had, had passed away that, you know, the vultures came out to, he had contacted me you know, when he knew his time was coming. And he said, you got to help my wife with the stuff. And, and of course I said, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, I just, I, I hope that somebody does the same sort of thing that I did for him with his junk. Um, but, uh, but who knows? I mean, when I'm gone and I've, I've had my fun, you know, I don't necessarily expect my family to pick up and continue to do the same level of madness that I have. Um, I don't think that's possible, but, uh, you know, I'm I kind of told right. More Randy talks and more I keep thinking, this is a show. This, this could, yeah. this is kind of like a yeah. cross between, uh, you know, uh, you know, barn, barn find hunter and, and American uh, pickers and American pickers. I mean, yeah, this is, except you actually get called to the scene because of, you know, something like that. Oh yeah. No. And it, and it's not only when somebody dies, you know, people get to a point where they want to downsize, they want to move, they, they get to the point where they realize, hey, I've collected all of these cars and there's no possible way they're going to get to all of it. Uh, or people that just want to go on a new adventure and do something new. So, you know, it doesn't have to be this morbid sort of, you know, selling dead guys stuff. You know, it, it could be a real but positive. That's, but that's television. That's, that's the winner. Yeah. <laughs> Going back a little bit, uh, what was the biggest disparity you saw between an owner's idea of a value of a vehicle and your assessment? Now, it could be either way, whether it was high or low. But. Well, on the, on the show, probably the greatest one, there was a guy that had a armored Cadillac limousine that um, I think had belonged to Herbert Hoover or something like that. I, I'm probably getting it wrong, but it was a political figure that has long since passed out of, you know, current, you know, trends. Nobody talks about this guy anymore. Fascinating car, really neat, bulletproof glass, you know, lead in the doors. It was a really, really neat car. But unless you're a history buff that's like chasing that sort of stuff, it's just an old lumpy Cadillac. Um, and it was really lumpy. It was horrid. Would have been a, a massive restoration project. Um, but he felt the car was worth, you know, in the millions. And, you know, to me, it, I think I appraised it at 20 grand. Um, and they saved that for the very last car shot during the season. And I think they did that for a reason, because then if the guy got really mad and killed me, then <laughs> it wouldn't have stopped production. <laughs> well, but look at the uh, look at the audience it would have drawn. Yeah, well, you, oh, yeah. you would have had a second season after that. <laughs> no, certainly. Yeah, cameras were on this guy. You know, it was there was some concern. You know, he was a very, very serious man about the history and about the story and very passionate about all of that. And, you know, it, it everybody was a little nervous because I told the powers of be, you know, yeah, I'm, this is going to be way under what this guy thinks. And, 
you know, so I, I think everybody on set was nervous about what the reaction would be. And, and fortunately, his reaction was fine. You know, he, he understood where I was coming from. And, you know, it's, uh, again, it comes down to that, that story. Just because somebody's, somebody interesting owned the car or rode in the car, you know, unless that person is a part of, you know, common pop culture or, or history that's talked about, then, um, you know, it doesn't have that pull. You've been involved in a lot of Hollywood stuff, as long as we're talking about it, not necessarily in front of the camera. You've been on some TV shows. Uh, you were on uh, the Lords of the Car Horde. Remember that show, Bob? Mm-mm. Lords of the Car Show. Rick Dora was on that show. Remember? Oh, oh yeah. Okay. That, are, that yeah. was, that was the one the where title, they, yeah. it's like they get two cars and fix one of them to fix another one or, or, or something along those lines. But you were also had something to do with Herbie Fully Loaded. Were you on camera for that or behind the scenes? What did you do? No, well, I was I was behind the scenes on that. Although I did sneak on set once and walk by the camera, so I can catch a little <laughs> tiny glimpse of myself. You cameo, know. cameo. But, but I'm a blur, and it's only me that would identify the blur. <laughs> but uh, no, the the quick story of that was I've done a lot of VW stuff. In fact, that's been one of my strongest passions throughout my life is is Volkswagens and. Um, at one point when, with young kids, I thought I'm going to build a Herbie replica, uh, because that'll be fun and we'll watch all the movies and have a good time. Uh, And we did that. And then I thought, okay, it's time that fun's over. And I put it up for sale. And the next morning I get a call from somebody and the guy says he's from Disney. And at first I thought, oh no, am I in trouble for trying to sell a Disney character or building a replica or whatever? But it turned out it was the picture car captain for what would become Herbie fully loaded and they were trying to find cars uh, to use for the film. So when I delivered the car up to them, it was the first Herbie in their stable. Um, you know, I said, well, if you need to find more, I'd be happy to help. And so I kind of joined forces with them on car hunting. And so we found a whole bunch of, you know, suitable ragtop beetles to be you know, turned into Herbie. Uh, and then I also gave them any sort of advice they needed on where to go to get parts or certain things they needed a real fast engine to do the nascar scenes and i pointed them towards a shop that i knew was really good and and so that was really my involvement i wasn't you know officially on the crew i was just kind of working uh helping and you know they would give me a finder's fee if i found a car for them but more than anything it was really exciting for me being a fan of herbie and anything film uh, and then also being a vw nut you know, it kind of gave me a, a, a pass to go on set whenever I wanted to go and, and see the whole movie magic. And, and that was cool. And at, at the end, I built another Herbie replica that was a replica of the NASCAR Herbie. And I used parts that were left over from production that they didn't use. Um, and then I had it done in time for the premiere of the movie. And Disney actually put it on the red carpet there in oh, Hollywood for the premiere. Oh, wow. so How cool was that? It was just fun, really. It wasn't it wasn't a, a super profitable venture, but uh, it was a great story, and I really, really enjoyed the process. Now, they had, when I was in college, I had a part-time job at Disney at the studio, mm-hmm. and they had a whole bunch of Herbie cars there. Did, had they gotten rid of those? They must have. You know, and, and Disney's such a big company. I know that, like, a lot of, I, at one point, there were a whole bunch of Herbies that were here in L.A. Yeah. that ended up in a lot somewhere, and I know that those got sold off to collectors here and there. Um, And there were a couple of Herbies that I think got sent off to Disney places around the world. So something went to down to Florida and so on and so forth. Um, So at the time of this film, uh, they didn't have any Herbies that were available for them to use for filming. They might've had something in their archives, but um, you know, they basically the one that I brought up to them ended up being the, the first car, which ended up being kind of the hero car um, for it. And I think that one is still within Irby's hands now or within Disney's hands now. Mm -hmm. We're talking to Randy Carlson here on talking about cars. If you were going to do a movie, what would you like to be involved in any future movie, something like that? Um, Well, I don't know. I mean, I've always been a fan of of film and TV and, and all of that. And, and prior to, really just kind of diving into cars full time. I actually worked up in Hollywood 
uh, doing props and set dressing and things like that. So that's sort of my alternate life. If I had really gone that direction, you know, you'd, I'd be interviewed by somebody else about film stuff. But, but at one point I switched and just kind of went with my passion of cars. But anytime those two paths can converge, uh, I'm into it. So whether it's, you know, renting a car to the movies and going up and just kind of being a fly on the wall to watch it um, or, or whatever, I enjoy all of that. But, um, you know, I think as far as stuff that I'd like to be involved with, um, you know, maybe your suggestion of doing a, doing a show, you know, based on, you know, these stories of the cars or, or helping families out or whatever, you know, I, I really, truly enjoyed every little bit of the sticker shock experience. Uh, it was a great crew of bunch of cool people, neat stories, neat cars, all of it. Um, and it was, I, it was awesome. That was, that was one of the best experiences that I've had. And uh, so I kind of wet my whistle. I love to do something else, but you know, in the meantime, I'm happy to do YouTube stuff and just kind of have a good time. When this becomes a big show, this concept we talk about here, in case you need announcers, right here, just, just thought I'd go. let you know. Just thought <laughs> I'd let you know there. You know, no cheap appeal here. No. Mm -mm. What was your last job that didn't have anything to do with cars? Um, oh, I guess the, the last job that didn't have anything to do with cars would have been the doing props. Um, you know, at, at one point, I, I just kind of had this entrepreneurial vibe where I just wanted to do something on my own. I, I enjoyed the process of working on uh, up in Hollywood and doing stuff, but it's, it's very much a political game. And when I was young and super feisty, I didn't want anybody telling me what to do. I didn't want to kiss anybody's butt. Um, and so it was like, I want to do my own thing. So I actually started a, a clothing company and uh, I was doing, you know, Hawaiian replicas of hula lamps and little hula dolls. And <laughs> it, it was like anything surf related. I, I just thought, okay, this will be my venture out in, into uh, business of my own. Um, but at one point, my wife said, you know, you're putting this much effort into this stuff that you're not really into. You know, what if you do something car related? Uh, and it was kind of this little light bulb went on like, duh. Okay. And so that that fired up all of that and I left the rest behind. And from that point on, it's everything's been car related and, and it's been awesome. We've been going through a whole bunch of trouble, uh, trouble I should say, with um, the pandemic. Everybody's, some of us have uh, neglected our own personal, uh, <laughs> personal grooming. There you go. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. oh, there you go, see, Thank, <laughs> there you go. All right, so we've all been affected by personal grooming issues due to the pandemic. How has the pandemic affected your life and the way you've been leading it over the last several months? Um, well, the biggest thing is no car shows, you know, not mm -hmm. I, missing the opportunity to go hang out with other car people is, has been the big thing or, or going and showing off, you know, the car I'm working on or whatever. Um, you know, that's been it. I mean, for the most part, I, I work for myself. I work by myself. And so day to day really hasn't been any different. Um, I live in the middle of nowhere, so it's not like, you know, I'm, I'm affected by all the things around me. I wake up in the morning and it looks the same as it's always looked. Um, so I really, the only difference other than, you know, everything really going super quiet at the start, uh, because everybody was just wondering, you know, is the world going to end? You know, there was very little business to do or stuff to do. Um, but but at one point I realized, you know, I'm not going to sit here on the couch anymore and mope about it and worry about the future. I'm just going to get busy. And mm -hmm. uh, that's where I've started doing a lot more of the estate sales stuff, not just cars. It can be other items as well. Um, and that's ended up being really good for my brain to get up and get out and do stuff. Uh, and then doing some more of the YouTube stuff. If, if I can't have a good chat, at a cars and coffee or a big car show or hang around up at Monterey for car week, you know, if I can at least share the stuff I like to talk about with people online and have them chatter back, you know, that's helped fill the void a little bit. Understand. Chat away. Chat away with us anytime you want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be ready for you. All right. We need to know things we need to know that we always ask our, our viewers our, and excuse me, our guests. Uh, number one, we know about your first car. 
what's in your garage right now? How many cars do you have? What do you got? Um, okay, what's in the garage right now? I've got the 37 Packard right here, which is kind of a preservation project. I'm trying to to make the most out of what it is without doing any sort of restoration to it. Uh, so polishing up original paint, just trying to preserve what's there. Um, I've got the Charger 500 that's from this Arizona estate. Uh, and I'm going to do the same thing with that. I, even though my, my job isn't really to work on these cars and do a lot of stuff, I just can't freaking help it. And, <laughs> and I've got to polish one of them or do something. I, I got the Shelby running. I actually drove it for the first time yesterday. So that was, that was satisfying. Cool. But the, the, the Charger 500, you know, that one I want to spend a little time with doing preservation. I love love to take something that's a dusty jewel and kind of unwrap it and see what it turns out to be. So that's, that's going on there. And then on the other side of the garage, which you can't really see through a door over there, um, I've got uh, a Porsche 356 that was a family car. Uh, it was my dad's car and it's been in the family since new or almost new. Um, but I tell people that my first ride in that car was preconception. So <laughs> that, that one will go nowhere. It's always with me. Um, I've got a, a 32 Packard that's over there. That's also a family car uh, and uh, an original Myers Manx dune buggy. Um, mm -hmm. that's, that's an all original car. Then I'm also doing some kind of preservation uh, and trying to get all the history together because it's got a really great story and then um, stuff like that. And so that's what's kind of under the roof. And then there's far too many cars outside for me to admit publicly. <laughs> <laughs> I, under I understand. I understand. Um, so the car that you haven't had yet, which I can't imagine what that would be, but the car you haven't had yet, top three list of cars you want someday. Um, Oh gosh, I, the one car that pops to mind is I've always loved the C-Type Jaguar. Mm. I just I just think it's one of the prettiest things ever on wheels, and it doesn't matter to me if it's a real one or a replica. I just every time I see one of those cars, I just kind of get lost in it. I want to rub it. It's very voluptuous, and and my wife would say, "I'll leave you two alone." <laughs> I was about to say this is almost too much information, but okay, yeah, right, okay. right. So that that's certainly on the list. Um, I I I don't know. Every time I see a modern Aston Martin, I oh, I yeah. really kind of want one. And even though I probably should never have one, you know, even a used one that I could maybe afford, you know, would probably just be a money pit. Uh, Still, there's something about the the shape of that car that I that I really like, and it'd you probably just, be fun to drive around until it blew up. You just want to say, uh, my name is Bond, James Bond. James Bond. Oh, certainly. If I can live out my inner Bond, that would be just fine. Go ahead, but, say it. You go ahead. Give me give me the Bond line. Oh no, I don't need to. Go. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, oh, come but on. I, I, I would definitely ask for drinks shaken, not stirred. There and, you go. And I'll hold that everywhere I want. You got to play it up. Very good. Uh, so that's that's kind of on a bucket list, and oh god, what's a third? I don't. My favorite car always is the next one, whatever it is. I, it's like, you know, every car is a new adventure and a new story. So I, I get most excited about whatever's in front of me as as the next one to play with. So I'll leave that slot open for whatever comes my way. What was the last next one? Um, well, the last next one, um, well, I guess the last next one would be the Packard. Mm -hmm. So that, that's, uh, that was the last next one. And, and I certainly wasn't looking for one or, or really desiring one, but, but the opportunity to, to play with this one came up. So, you know, now I'm falling in love with it and I'm learning everything about it and, and having a good time. Great. I'm noticing the side mounts on it. What what body style or what four door sedan yeah, or is it the Vic? Yeah, it's a touring sedan. It's a model one twenty. Uh so it's a four door, good family car. I can load the families up in it, get the kids in the back seat. Uh and it's an eight cylinder car. I I had a thirty seven coupe at one point. 
Um, it was the six-cylinder car, and I really kind of missed that car because it was just, I don't know, there's something about it I really, really liked. But it only had the single seat in it. So, you know, you couldn't haul people with you. Um, so I thought, well, maybe this this will be something where I can haul folks around with me. But, uh, but again, I, I know that something else will come up and I'll just be all crazy and I'll get that look in my eye and I'll be <laughs> off the truck trailer and there's something else for me to chase. But, um, you know, but right now my hands are full playing around with the, the muscle cars uh, from this estate. So that's, that's something that I really need to focus on and, and find those cars homes and stuff. And, and get back some some wheel estate here in the garage to park my own stuff. I love this quote, Randy Carlson quote. Here we go. This is when you were working on that green, uh, on the green corn at RT and you were cleaning it up. Quote, get into the classic car game, wine, women, and song, as you're basically scooping rat guano from the back of the car. <laughs> I thought that was classic. Very good. For those who think yeah. there are no wine, women, and song in classic cars, Randy is proof. <laughs> <laughs> hey randy we appreciate the time thank you so much for joining us on this edition of talking about cars and a reminder you could listen to our audio that is podcasts on radio.com and knx1070.com watch our video podcast which you may be doing right now on our new two tired guys productions channel and of course bob show cars cars gas hello, it's, hello. Been so, it's been so long since i've been in your show bob i know it's been two weeks yes it's been two weeks and we're doing another one later today so yep. and of course bob your big uh, line going into your gas show is i'm hot rod bob and you've got gas the yes. great american odyssey there that fits that fits so much so again, check out Bob's show, check out our show, visit us on social media, become a Two Tired Guys patron, see exclusive videos, get some swag, check out uh, Randy's uh, websites, decarcheology.com, as well as oldbug.com, californiacar.com, and uh, all sorts of other good stuff. So check out Randy, and he'll be appearing in that brand new show anytime soon, <laughs> yeah. lucky enough. That's it for us. Until next time, I'm Randy. That's Randy. That's Hot Rod Bob. We're all having fun talking about cars. We'll see you next time.